right, well, here we go. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, right around verse 23, 24 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'll just let you know there's a Bible in front of you in the seat pocket. That's our gift to you. If you need a Bible, you can take that with you. Uh, also, just want to make you aware of some resources that are available to you that you may not know. Uh, after every service, every Sunday, there's a prayer room. It's right at the top of the stairs there, and it's a place for you. If you need to go in response to what God's doing in your life and pray, that's available to you. There are people there that can pray with you if you so desire that. But just want to make that available to you this morning. And also just want to let you know every uh, week there's an elder letter that comes out from our elder team. And over the next couple weeks, uh, some of our elders have been interviewed in regard to marriage and what they've learned in years of marriage. And I just encourage you to check that out. That's a great resource for you, uh, our elder letter. So I encourage you to uh, make use of that. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, that marriage is to be held in honor among all. In other words, as we dive into this series, no matter if you're single, married, formerly married, wherever you are in this stage of life, if you're a believer, then we're to have a view of marriage that God has, God's view of marriage. We're attempting to do that in this series over the last couple of weeks and next week as well. I want to give you a little illustration this morning to kind of set up where we're going in 1865, the Michigan Southern Railway completed construction of the Ashtabula Bridge near Lake Erie in Ohio. And there it is. There's an old picture of a bridge that was built in 1865. In December of 1876, the Pacific Express was traveling with 11 rail cars, two locomotives, and 159 passengers. As the train crossed the bridge, the entire span of the bridge collapsed, sending all 11 cars and one locomotive into the waters below. 98 passengers were killed. To this day, it is the deadliest bridge collapse in the history of the United States. Now, further investigation after this bridge collapsed, and there's, that's an artist's rendering, obviously. Uh, the design of the bridge was studied, and there was an investigation that took place. The design was a very popular design of that day for railroad bridges because it was strong enough. It was designed to hold the massive weight of rail cars and locomotives as they passed across the bridge. After further investigation, it was determined that the bridge collapse was not a result of poor design. The design was good. It was determined after investigation that the reason the bridge collapsed is because it had not been built in line with established engineering principles consistent with the design or according to the wishes of the designer. In other words, the bridge collapsed and it was a disaster and everyone saw it and they looked on and some scratched their heads and go, man, it was a poor design. The design was good. The issue with the bridge is it had not been built according to the specifications by which the designer had originally intended it. Marriage. You, can, you and I know we, we live in a culture that marriage is questioned even. Some want to say that 
(laughs) The design of marriage is faulty. It is outdated. We need to redefine it. We need to revisit it. I just want you to know, based on the authority of the living word of God, there is not a flawed design in marriage. It is a glorious gift from our creator And we, as God's people, want to continually learn, God, how is this way that you have designed this thing called marriage? Marriage is to be held in honor among all. So we've taken on a few weeks. We're in the middle of a series. Daniel kicked us off last week. He mentioned it earlier. We we realized and we were reminded that marriage is for us, but boy, marriage is not about us. If you were here last week, you may not remember anything else Daniel said, but that, ma- that message last week is forever going to be known as the seven-second marriage, right? Forever. In other words, the application, if you didn't hear anything else, was that spouses, husband and wife, should kiss twice a day for seven seconds. And as Daniel says, we've heard way too much feedback on that this past week. So our goals in this series, what we're aiming for and what I want you to be aiming for is a couple things. And let me just hold these out to you quickly. One is that we as God's people would see the institution of marriage as God sees it. Now let's just own up to something together this morning. Everybody in this room is going to come to the table with some differing views of this thing called marriage. You're going to have, all of us, all of us are going to be heavily influenced by our culture's understanding of marriage. We want more than that for our view of marriage, right? I would even say this, many of you in this room right now, your view of marriage is going to be more of a political view than a biblical view. I don't really care what the Republican Party says about marriage. I don't really care what the Democratic Party says about marriage. If all you, as a child of God, brings to the table is, well, by golly, this is what I think about marriage, and it's not driven from Scripture, it's not going to hold. So if that's all you got, let's press on past your political view of marriage. I recognize in this room, many of you, all of us to a degree, are going to bring to the table past experiences regarding marriage. It's the marriage you were raised in, the marriage you were brought up in. Some of you would even say, if you were pressed, that you're not even sure marriage is valid anymore. Some of you would say, and I grieve because of this. Some of you are in this room and you have never personally witnessed or observed over a period of time a healthy marriage. You have no idea the joy that it can be in Christ. So Some of you in this room bear the wounds of a broken marriage. I know that. We know that. Some of you in this room currently are bringing a view of marriage based on your present situation. If I could just completely level with you, your elders met this last Tuesday night. And I want you to know that for a long time, The elders that lead this church and love this church did nothing but prayed for specific marriages in this church that we are aware of are on life support right now. So it's very challenging for me, and we even talk about this, to look out and I see faces and I know some of you are hearing this message and this series is going on and man, your marriage is a mess. 
I know that. So we, we all have these different perspectives on marriages. Some of you, right now, your marriage is more two roommates living together instead of husband and wife. Marriages are on life support. And some of you, praise God, are in this room and you have a good marriage, but you're not satisfied with where your marriage is. You want more. Man, I hope this series, I hope it helps in the Spirit of God. So we want to see marriage as God sees it. Secondly, we want to enjoy marriage as God intends it. Amen? Proverbs chapter 5 says, Husbands, men, speaking to men, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Amen? It doesn't say rejoice in your youthful wife. (laughs) Her age has nothing to do with it. Be careful, men, on that one. In other words, here's what the Bible says. If your perspective on marriage right now is, well, I'm going to grin and bear it and make the most of it, that's not the ideal that God holds out for marriage. Marriage is intended, it is given for us, as we looked at last week. We are to enjoy this thing called marriage. If you are satisfied with anything less right now than a marriage that you are enjoying, men, fight for the joy of your marriage. Ladies, fight for the joy of your marriage. So how do you do that? You kiss for seven seconds, twice a day. We've already told you that. My kids are like, Dad, if you say that one more time, I'm going to die. Just waiting for that. By the way... Pastor Austin and those in our preschool ministry are very curious of the outcome of a marriage series. What will the fruit of this series be, oh, ten months from now, if you get the idea? If you don't, you can ask somebody later about what that means. Number three, we want to see the institution of of marriage as God sees it. We want to enjoy it as God intends it. Thirdly, here's a prayer. We want to model marriage because the world needs it. You do realize that outside of the people of God, where else is the world going to see and understand what marriage is intended to be? It's given... It's given to us, the people of God. Marriage is a gift given to humanity, all people. But as believers, we have the capacity in Christ to model marriage as it was intended to be. And for us as a church that wants to make Jesus Christ known, and we are committed to making known the love of Jesus Christ, let me just tell you something. There is no way that we live on mission, make Christ known, and we have crumbling marriages because the two go together. Your marriage is to be a living, visible, tangible example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to say, I'm living on mission, I'm doing what God's called me to do, and my marriage, I'm just going to drag it along behind me, is absolutely inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. You don't separate the two. Right? So we're going to tackle some things this morning. So here's the plan, all right? We've got a word for husbands this morning. Wives, we don't need any elbows. We don't need any loud amens necessarily. You don't need to point, anything like that. Guys, I would strongly encourage you to take some notes. 
If you do not have a pen, your wife has one at the ready, I assure you. And then next week, we've got a word for wives, and I imagine it may be the only Sunday of the year that the husband has the car warmed up, ready, started in the driveway 20 minutes early. Come on, honey, let's go. We'll spend time there next week. So I want you to take your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen. We're simply going to read about 10 verses here and then try to draw some great truth out of this. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 22 and read down through the end of the chapter. As we talk about this thing called marriage and honoring marriage, God has designed marriage in such a way that there are particular roles. There is truth here for husbands. There's truth here for wives. And I think it's probably helpful to know the passage that I'm getting ready to read, we're going to just kind of follow along this, is it is a controversial passage. Not because it's so complex, but because it's so simple and clear. <laughs> and as you know, we're, re- we're getting ready to read a passage that many in the world will scoff at and mock at and say is outdated and irrelevant and oppressive and whatever, else wor- whatever other words you want to use. But as believers, we believe in the life-giving Word of God. So let's read this. I'm going to read down. I'm going to stop and make a couple comments, and then we're going to make some application to our life. Chapter 5, verse 22. The Apostle Paul writes to a group of believers, a church in the city of Ephesus, predominantly Gentile, non-Jew church within the pagan world, the Greco-Roman world 2,000 years ago. It's also very interesting to note as we read this, the view of marriage before the gospel exploded in the Roman world, the view of marriage was one of a domineering husband, the wife was practically seen as property of the husband, Uh, immorality was common, the man could do whatever he wanted, he could have sex with whoever he wanted and the wife had no right to speak back whatsoever. The gospel invaded and exploded, and here's the big idea. The gospel in someone's life will result in a marriage radically different from what the world sees. Radically different. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, Christ, being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Interesting note, in the original language, the admonition to wives is about 40 Greek words. The admonition to husbands is about 120 Greek words, just say. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Now, if Paul were to stop right there in his writing, here's what happens. You and I, in our best efforts, define what we think that love ought to look like. But the Word of God doesn't stop there. The Word of God says, 
me show you, let me give you an example, let me give you a model and even the power. What do we mean when we say husbands love your wives? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'll just tell you, man, as a husband who wants to live this out, it's hard for me to even read that. Not just being overcome by desire. Yes, Christ in me, the gospel in us makes this possible. But you got to know I stand before you and I'm not holding out the model of my marriage. I have a very healthy, joy-filled marriage. But I don't want you to look at my marriage as the model. The model is nothing less than Jesus Christ and his love for the church. Nothing less. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Come back to that. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. What does that mean, Paul? That doesn't even make any sense. Verse 29. For no one has ever hated his own flesh. Here's two key words. We'll come back to these. Nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. What does it mean to love my wife is like loving myself? How can you say that? Verse 30. Because we are members of his body, verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. In other words, this is not a, it's not a cultural thing. This is not something contrived over culture over hundreds of years. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. The marriage covenant is God's idea. Paul is saying, listen, of all the human relationships that you'll ever experience, there is only one human relationship that it can be said, a man and a woman become one, and that's marriage. And if we understand that, we understand that as I treat my wife, I'm ultimately treating myself because we're one. Glorious reality. Paul goes on and he says, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now stop right there for just a second. Quick explanation. The word mystery, as Paul uses it here, means something that in the past that wasn't completely clear, but now in the present has been made clear. In other words, Paul says, now God has made known to me, and I'm making known to you that from all of history, and here's what the book of Ephesians is about, from before time began, God had a plan to redeem a people, bring them to himself, choose out a bride, if you will, for himself. Love her, sanctify her, redeem her, bring her to himself. This has been God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. And watch this. And God has built into creation a picture of that, and he calls it marriage. 
And now on this side of the cross of Jesus, Paul is able to say, the mystery now makes sense. It is Christ and his bride, and we are to look at human marriages and see this glorious plan of God practically lived out. Paul says, wow, the mystery now becomes in greater focus. So Paul goes to the heights of theological understanding, and then he gets right back down to Monday morning living, verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself. Paul's saying the greatest need of your wife is unconditional love. He says, and the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. It's Monday morning living. The greatest need of your husbands is this unconditional respect from their wives. And Paul gets real practical. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to try to draw some principles out of this. And again, there's just so much that can be said here. here here's kind of the big truth for the day. This is it. Jesus himself is on display through our marriages as we live out our roles and responsibilities toward one another in marriage. Jesus is on display. Now, I've got to say, as we, as we tackle this passage this week, and then we'll tackle it next week, I mentioned earlier, it's, as you know, it's one of those controversial passages. There's some words in here that are not always popular, and we'll tackle some of those next week as well. But let me just say... No matter how you look at this, I need you to know that the Bible here is clearly holding out to us. Husbands and wives share identical value and worth before God. There is no distinction in worth or value. You got that? But God is holding out here clearly there is a distinction in roles. There are particular roles that in this mystery of displaying the gospel and who Christ is, the Christ the head and the wife being the bride, there are particular roles. And throughout history, since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, those roles have become a sources of conflict at times. In fact, here, here's a verse for you. Genesis 3.16, right after the fall, God is speaking to the woman. He says, to the woman, he says, your desire will be conflict. Contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. In other words, all the way back in Genesis 3.16 says, there's going to be sparks in marriage. There's going to be women who are trying to take a role that was never given to them. There's going to, try to, there's going to be men who are going to misinterpret the role given to them. They're going to try to dominate instead of serve, or they're going to abdicate and be passive. In other words, these roles since the beginning of time, since the fall of man and woman in the Garden of Eden, Eden have been twisted and sources of conflict. So we want to figure out what the Bible says, all right? What does it look like as Jesus Christ calls us here to love our wives? So guys, here's what I've got for you. I've got a word for our husbands this morning. I only have two quick statements and then some application, all right? A word to husbands. Here's the first word to us as husbands this morning. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves. Ephesians 5.25, we just read it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I said earlier, if all we read was that verse this morning, we closed up our Bibles and went home, it'd be enough. 
want you to know this morning, for all of us men, my goal, my pursuit, my ideal is nothing less in my marriage than the way Jesus himself actively, intentionally, selflessly, graciously, and unceasingly, and watch this, unconditionally loves his bride, the church. That is the goal, that is my ideal, that is what I'm pursuing, that is what I long for in marriage. Now watch, anything less than that is a substandard in your marriage. So guys, if you hear that, and there's created, there's created this tension in your heart of saying, Pastor Mike, I read that, but I wake up on Monday morning, and I come home on Monday afternoon, and there's a massive gap from the way I live, from the way Jesus Christ is calling me to. Okay, I get that. That's the point of the gospel, and that's the point of Christ in you to empower you to live this way. This is not bootstrap Christianity. I'm going to try harder to do more. This is through the power of Christ. Christ only. So if you're sitting there and you feel this tension of, I can't do that in my own strength, we're getting somewhere. If you sit there and you're a husband and you claim to know Christ and this passage does not stir you or this passage does not create any hunger in you whatsoever, then that's very revealing about the state of your soul, sir. Very revealing. So I just want you to know, guys, this morning, the, the, the ideal that we're shooting for is nothing less than Christ and his church. Not a Hollywood movie. Not the best marriage or the worst marriage you've seen. Watch this. Not even my dad. I'm thankful for a godly dad who loved my mom and modeled that for years. Some of you have had that. Some of you have not had that. But listen, the way my dad loved my, wife, loved my mom, that's not my ultimate goal. It's nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ and the way he loves his church. That's your goal. That's what we're striving for this morning. So what does that kind of love look like? I'm going to give you five, four or five quick words here. This kind of love that is laid out, that is modeled by Jesus Jesus defines it, Jesus personifies it, Jesus lives it out. Here's five or six words. Number one, it is an unconditional love. It is an unconditional love. In Ephesians 5.25, nowhere in that chapter do you find an if-then clause. Y'all hear that? There's nowhere in that chapter that says, okay, husbands... If your wife performs a certain way or accomplishes a certain task or maintains a certain form of beauty or whatever, you fill in the blank. If, then you can love her this way. That is a works-based mentality. That is a contract and not a covenant. That is not the love of Jesus Christ. It is an unconditional, undeserved love that Christ models to his church. And husbands, what that means is it is only by the power of Christ that you can demonstrate to your wife an unconditional type of love. It cannot be a checklist. It cannot be an if-then clause. It is because I, watch this, because I have experienced the unconditional, undeserved, unmerited, we just sang about it, never gives up, never stops, never ceases, love of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I have the capacity to love my wife that way. You do. You do. Listen, this is gospel living. This is how the gospel is manifest in your life. I can practice supernatural forgiveness because I've received supernatural forgiveness. That's the gospel lived out in your life. I can practice supernatural, undeserved love to that woman different than I've ever seen in the world because I 
am a recipient of that kind of love in Jesus Christ. See that? So it's an unconditional love. Let me give you a few more quickly. Number two, it's a selfless love. Scripture says here, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And what? Gave himself up for her. This kind of love model that's held out here is a selfless love. Jesus Christ laid aside the privileges of heaven. Jesus Christ took on the role of a servant, perfectly modeled in the washing of the disciples' feet, perfectly modeled by going to the cross. He demonstrated his love toward us by going to the cross and literally laying down his life for us. So here's the point. Men, you will never be asked you will never be expected to practice a love any greater than the love that has been practiced and modeled in your life by Jesus Christ. It is a selfless type love. Listen, I've got a question for you. Do you know what the greatest threat to your marriage is? You say, well, I think it's the liberal media. No. Well, I think it's the politicians in Washington that's making all it. No. I think it's Satan. No. You know what the greatest threat to my marriage is? Watch this. It is my selfish heart. That's it. See, what Christ is doing in me and the kind of love that he's talking about here is over time there is a continual work that's going on in me and it is chipping away anything in me. It's called sanctification that doesn't look like Jesus and it's not Christ in me. It's painful. It's hurtful. It's the process that Christ is doing in me. It's that kind of selflessness that is the work of the Spirit of God because left to myself, I want what I want. I think I'm entitled. I deserve this. I deserve deserve that the marriage is just for me and if I'm not getting what I want I'll bail out and go somewhere else the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is a selfless type love that's why when Jesus called disciples to himself he says listen if anyone is coming after me wants to be my disciple he must deny himself and take up his cross daily Listen, that's why, listen, man, one of the greatest things you can do for your marriage is you've got this book open on a daily basis and you've got your face in this book and you're crying out to God because you know left to myself, I will be the most selfish person on earth. God, help me, change me, transform me by the power of the Spirit of God in me. It is a selfless type love. Number three, quickly. It's an intentional love. What does that mean? If you look at Ephesians 5, the love of Christ is going somewhere. It is taking the church somewhere. It is progressive. It is leading the church somewhere. There's a, there's a leadership element to this love. Verse 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does to the church. To nourish here, this word particularly means the way in which we equip or enable our wives to grow in Christ's likeness. The nourishment here can mean a few other things, but it doesn't mean anything less than our role to enable, to lead, to guide, and help our wives, men, grow and mature in Christ's likeness. This love is, we, we want for our wives, and we want for our wives their fruitfulness and their joy in Christ and their maturing in Christ, nothing less. Leadership in the home. Listen, this word nourishment, just take it this way. Our role is to actively, intentionally, strategically, thoughtfully, consistently 
point our wives and children to the person and the work and the word of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of other things involved. There's a lot of other things we're to be and to do, I know that. But if you pull that one out, then you're missing the ultimate point. He says we are to be there to nourish our wives. 526, he says, so that he, Christ, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? Word, the Word of God. Here's as practical as I can get for you guys, flowing right out of Ephesians chapter 5. And I say this to myself and I say this to us. Here's the question. How is your wife spurred on toward the Word of God by your life, your example, your words, your encouragement? And I will say, I think it's a whole lot more than Well, honey, you ought to go down there and get one of those Bible studies at the church. It might help you. No. I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's you modeling and realizing that, man, God, I I need this word in my life. I need to study. I need to feast. I need to be transformed on a daily basis. And it's not that I have a yoke and I'm saying, honey, you better grow up and mature. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's leading your wife towards something better for her. It is like a shepherd leading sheep to pasture. It's not that your wife is less mature necessarily. It's certainly not that your wife is inferior. It's certainly not that she's less intelligent. My wife is a whole lot more intelligent than I am. But God has given me the role of leadership in my family so the place that the word of God takes in my home is ultimately something that I will give an account for doesn't mean I'm the only one that ever reads the Bible. It doesn't mean I'm the only. It, it doesn't mean that. But ultimately, I'll give an account for that. Do I do I have my wife under the teaching of the Word of God? Am I am I pursuing together the Word of God? Am I sure she's in the Word of God? Am I creating every opportunity for her to grow? And does my life reflect personally a hunger and a desire for God's Word to permeate my life and my home? Oh, man, it's something we want to strive for in our homes. That's why we have things called study groups. That's why we have things called life groups. That's why we gather here like this in a corporate setting. I mean, even right now, you need to know we have a study group. We have a track within our study groups that is designed and dedicated to marriage for you to come as couples with other couples in community to pursue and help you understand this thing called marriage. Husbands, don't expect somebody to come knocking at your door and say, come on, man, you're the leader. You set the pace. You take the initiative. And listen, you got to know something. And my time's running out, but i got to say this really quick. If you expect to try to lead your family well and there to be no opposition, you're fooling yourself. The opposition comes from the cosmic forces, absolutely. The opposition even comes from your own family because of their flesh. And the opposition comes from inside of you and your selfishness and my selfishness. But listen, men, fight for the health and the purity and the welfare and the godliness of your family. So fight. It's a selfless love. It's an intentional love. A couple more very quickly. It's a tender love. It's a tender love. We won't look there, but there's a passage in Colossians that says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. 
You know why Paul had to say that to a group of believers? Because the tendency often is for us to grow hard and us to grow sharp and us to grow in this bitterness toward our wives. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, he nourishes it. We just talked about that. We're to nourish our wives and cherish. Cherish. You know what cherish means. Man, there are plenty of things in your life that you cherish. There are plenty of things in your life that you highly value and you want to talk about and you want to hold up. And man, you can't wait to be around and can't whatever it is. That's okay. We have things in our life we cherish. But here scripture says you are to cherish the gift of that wife that has been entrusted to you by God Almighty. You are to highly prize her in the way that you speak to her, in the way that you speak about her, in the way that you treat her in public. Listen, there's a massive example of this, and you can just write it down. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. The bride, speaking of her husband, says, He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner of love is over me. What does that mean? I mean, here comes the king, King Solomon, and he walks in in all the pomp and circumstance, and here's the bride with this banner of love over her. In other words, when they are in public, there is a sense from all that are around and are watching, man. And he prizes that wife. I just tell you, you want to know a pet peeve for me? Here's a pet peeve. Ready? This is not my notes. I'm going off script. When you see men and they want you to know that they're there and they got a lot to say and they got a lot to share and they walk in about 10 paces in front of their wife and she's dragging the kids and she's trying to get everything out of the car. Dude, you go back and love your wife. Cherish that bride that God has given to you. You say, Pastor Mike, sometimes I don't feel that. I get it. If you're driven only by feelings, you're going to come up short. But in the word of God, by the power of the spirit of God, Lord, would you restore to me the sense of rightness of cherishing this gift you've entrusted to me. Help me speak to her that way. Help me to speak about her that way. Help me to present her that way in public. She should not have a doubt for one moment that she is a prized, cherished gift in my life. One of the hardest statements I've ever heard, and I don't even remember who said it. So I'll just quote it says this that the woman, the woman God gives you on your wedding day is a gift from God. The woman she is 10 years later is tremendously impacted by you. God's given us a huge responsibility. That we're to create a cover and we're to create a place of safety and a place of unconditional love and a place of being cherished and a place of pointing to Christ for his glory through his power. Last one and we'll be done. <laughs> I chuckle a little bit because this, this one may be the most difficult it is for me. Another way that we love like this is it's to be an understanding love. Paul doesn't say this necessarily in Ephesians chapter 5. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 3. And here's what he says. And every husband in here knows the challenge to this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
Do you mean that I'm to understand everything about my wife? Because, listen, guys, every guy in here, you're not going to say it out loud, and that's probably a good thing. There are simply things about my wife I do not understand. Amen? Just give them a little freedom there, ladies. They're being honest. Peter says... We, we are to learn and we are to grow in an understanding way of our wives. And rather than it being the difference is being a source of bitterness or contempt, it is a reason to rejoice. I'm at the front of the line to say, thank God, God made men and women different. Amen. But in marriage, sometimes these differences can be source of clashing instead of rejoicing I just got to tell you our brains don't work like our wives our brains don't work the same listen you know that yeah I mean every morning I go downstairs and my wife's doing about 18 things she's cooking breakfast, she's trying to get the kids ready for school, she's feeding the dog, she's mediating conflict between siblings, she's making this breakfast, she's just met with God, all these things are going on, and I'm wandering around trying to find my keys. Honey, where's my key? <laughs> Our brains don't work the same. <laughs> I asked my wife permission for this one. Ready? Our habits are not the same. They're different. I don't understand why my wife does some things she does and when she chooses to do them. I don't understand. For example, it is a common practice that we're coming downstairs. The kids are loaded in the car. The car is running. I'm, I'm there. Come on, babe. We're ready to go. And she's sitting at the table painting her fingernails. I mean, it happens a lot. And, and listen, I, I don't want it to be a source of bitterness. And I'll ask her, I'll say, babe, I, now? And she explains it to me. She says, well, listen, i got to chase five, five kids around the house. I'm busy. I do a lot. If I, wait, if I try to paint my fingernails any other time, they're going to get chipped and cracked. So I just paint them before we get to go somewhere. Okay. I still, I still don't make any sense. Husbands. You have a responsibility before the Lord to learn your wife, to understand the way God has wired her and make it a source of celebration and rejoicing. And thank God he has put you together with differences it is a source of rejoicing, not a source of bitterness and to be a source of contempt. So we love our wives in an unconditional way. We love our wives in an intentional way. We love our wives in a selfless way, a tender way, and an understanding way. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the team to come on up, and I'm going to conclude with this. Second, second point is this. All right. How do we do this? Here's your second point. And husbands, abide in Jesus in order to love like Jesus. Now, don't gloss right over this. Listen. Scripture says, Ephesians 5, 25, we read it over and over, husbands love your wives, and here's the kicker, just as Christ. Just as Christ. 
That is not a yoke of moralism that says, okay, try harder and do more. As a believer, it is this reality that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is living inside of me. And I have the capacity in Christ to love like Jesus. But here's what i got to do. i got to pursue. i got to walk with. i got to bathe in this Word. i got to be filled with His Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 a verse that precedes everything we just read. A verse that's kind of the pivot verse of chapter 5 says this, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation. In other words, don't be controlled by that, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled, empowered, led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Under the influence of the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit. Guys, you've got to walk with others. You can't do it by yourself. Got to walk into community, press into community with other couples who are striving toward the same things you are. Don't try to do this alone. Guys, you got to walk in forgiveness. One of the greatest hang-ups in some of your marriages right now is you're not willing to extend forgiveness or you're not willing to receive forgiveness given to you. And lastly, walk in forgetfulness. Well, that's no problem. I forget everything. No. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Some of you in this room say the last four years, five, ten years of my marriage has been a disaster. Tomorrow's a brand new day in the grace of God. His mercies are new every morning. Forget what lies behind, press on to what lies ahead in Christ. In Christ. Pray for you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Strengthen us by the power that is in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray together. Amen.